service. But um, what I want to do now is I want to talk about the, the past a little bit, the past for probably all of us in this room. Uh, maybe you grew up going to uh, camp uh, when you were younger, uh, sleepaway camp where you'd go away for the week. And it could have been Boy Scout camp, Girl Scout camp. Maybe it was a YMCA wilderness camp. Um, Hopefully you didn't go to Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, some of you will get that a little bit later on. Uh, maybe that wasn't the camp you went to. But if you were like me, you went to church camp. So I grew up going to church camp. That was my experience for camps growing up. Uh, every summer I would go away to church camp. And, uh, and church camps were great, except, you know, right before you would go to church camp, you were always a little queasy, uh, a little bit nervous, because sometimes you didn't know anybody that was going. And, and so you were going to meet all these new people. You're like, what's this going to be like? And, and then you finally got to church camp. Our church camp started on Sunday afternoons. And, and so we'd get there on Sunday afternoons. And again, you're, you're trying to figure out who these new kids are and what they're all about. And this group looks like they know each other. And you're kind of over here to the side, like, hey, can I jump in and play? Like, sure, come and do this. And, and so it took some time. But by the end of that Sunday afternoon, that Sunday evening, man, you were connected. You were ready to go. You were looking forward to the week ahead. Now, if you've been to church camp before, and I guess any kind of camp, you know there's very little sleep that happens. In church camp, the food is always horrible and terrible. Uh, you're worn out, you're tired, but you're having a great time, fun. Of course, lots of Jesus has taken place in church camp. But the, the climax of the week, right, the denouement of the week, only, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Everybody else, you can go look that up a little bit later on, figure out what I'm talking about was Thursday nights, and it was Thursday night campfire. Because by then, emotionally, you didn't understand this as a kid, you were drained. I mean, you were worn out, you were tired. And the camp leaders and counselors are pretty smart. They're like, this is the time we're going to pounce on these kids, right? And, and so they'd build this huge old campfire, and everybody would go that Thursday evening, like 9, 9.30, you'd go around this campfire, and and they stripped everything down. And so instead of all these instruments, you've got somebody on an acoustic guitar. One person's leading everybody and singing. And then you've got the speaker who's been there the whole week. And they've been setting up for this moment. And they had, all they have is their Bible. And they're just walking around the campfire and they're talking. And, and, and by the time that the, the speaker finishes, I mean, everybody's just bawling, crying. Now, you don't know why. You don't understand you're worn out and tired. But, but a big part of it is that God's working in this, right? And so at the end of this evening, I mean, kids are like, man, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to be baptized. You're like, oh, that's incredible. And other kids are saying, hey, I want to go into full-time ministry for the rest of my life. Like, oh, this is amazing. And you're hugging each other. And you're like, this is great. This is wonderful. And then you wake up the next morning on Friday. And you're like, wow, man, what did we just experience? It's like a holy hangover, right? You're like, whoa, that was incredible. <laughs> You got headaches from it and all that kind of stuff, but, but you just had this amazing time, and, and through the rest of that Friday, because Friday was usually when you would go home, you're giving hugs to people, and, and back in the day, you didn't have phones, right? So you're like, hey, can I get your phone number? And you'd write it somewhere on your hand or a piece of paper and hope you didn't lose it before you, you got home, because like, she was kind of cute, and so you wanted to make sure you pick up the phone and dial or whatever it was, and hey, how you doing? And your parents like, don't stay on the phone very long, because it costs us like 25 cents a minute when you do that. Um, but, but that's what we do, right? And you wished and hoped that Thursday was just sort of this thing that continued on forever and ever. Well, then Saturday morning came. And reality kind of stuck, struck in. And, and you're sitting there thinking, wow, that was great. But now I'm back to reality. I'm back to my family life and my friends. And, and over the next few hours and days and weeks, maybe months and years, we, we kind of look back to those Thursday night campfires and we think, wouldn't it be amazing if our faith walk, if our Christian community was always like that. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you today. That's not the way it works, okay? 
And over the next few moments, I'm going to talk about what does this really look like for us? I mean, I know we kind of hope for that, and that's what we desire, but, but then there's the reality. And so what does this look for, like for us? And, and today we finish up this series called Rose to Circles. And if you haven't been here, let me give you a quick little synopsis of this, this series. We started out the series saying, you know, we look at ourselves and we say, there are things about me that I want to change. There are things I want to fix. There are things I want to be different. But our excuse is someday. Someday I'll fix this. Someday I'll be better. Someday I'll change. And when someday comes, we find out someday's too late. And so the big question we asked at the end of that first message was, do we really want to change? Do we want to change? And, and then last week we began to say, hey, you know, we, we come here on a Sunday morning and we sit in rows. That's the rows and the rows to circles. We sit in rows. And, and the purpose of this is so we can celebrate what God's doing, so that we can focus on Jesus. But there, there's a little bit more to our faith walk, to this Christian community, this church community than that. We've got to move from rows to circles. Because we said truth comes in rows, but change happens in circles. That change really takes place when we are doing these one another's together. And this week as we finish, I want to talk about what does this look like? I mean, how does this kind of function practically within the church? And so to do this, we're going to look at the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to spend our time. Some of you are like, I already know what you're going to read. Hey, we're going to look at this a little bit differently maybe than what you've looked at it in the past. But Acts chapter 2, we're going to get there in a second. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to put it up on the screens. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you. you follow along on your Journey Church app. You can take notes there. And on your program, you can take notes today. But here's a, sort of the setup here. In, um, in the book of Acts, Jesus is going back into heaven. He's like, hey, here's your mission here on earth. Now, you guys are following me. You ladies are following me now. Here's your mission. Go and tell people about me. Tell them my story. Tell them what I taught you and, and teach them those things. And then baptize them when they're like, hey, I want to make this decision to follow Christ. And, and just keep doing this over and over and over again. But Jesus tells them, like, something special is going to happen. God's going to send a part of who God is to you, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And they're kind of like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. Jesus leaves, and then they have a little meeting. They have to have a committee meeting to figure out who's going to be this 12th person on their council, right? And, and so they take care of that. But, but then they're meeting again, and it's the day of Pentecost, and they're in this room. There's 120 of them. And all of a sudden, all this crazy stuff starts happening, and it's really loud. It's like a wind tunnel. And, and then they see these fl- things of flames on people's heads. And really what it was, it was God was sending the Holy Spirit to them. And so here's all these people, 120 people, right? This is like the first church, okay? This is like the first church, 120 people. They go out into the streets, and they start talking in all these different languages. Now, why is this important? Last week I talked about how if you were Jewish male that three times a year you had to go to Jerusalem and of course you would bring everybody else with your family with you. So the, the, the nation or excuse me the city of, of, of Jerusalem wasn't necessarily that big but it got swole real quick when you had these festivals okay because all of these people would show up there and they were coming from all over the place. The reason was back in 597 BCE King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in overthrows Israel and takes the Israelites, many of the Israelites, with him back to his country, to his empire. And then over time, they began to, the Jewish people that were there began to spread all over. So they didn't know the language of Jerusalem, right? They, they, they don't know the, 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 what the, the dialect is and the languages that are being spoken there. They know their place. They know where they're from. But now they're here in this particular area. They're in Jerusalem. And these people are coming out and talking to them in their language. <laughs> like, this is pretty incredible. And what they're telling them is about the story of Jesus. And here's what happens because of that. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 41. 
It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Here's what we have. A little church of about 120 people. And in about two minutes, it ended up being a megachurch, right? I mean, it grew from 120 people to about 3,120 people. Imagine what that would be like. And again, we're not talking about over a few months, over a few years, a few decades. We're talking about in a couple of minutes this takes place. I like to think about numbers. And uh, so when I read that, I think about what would that look like here? Let's say we've got over 250 chairs in here. Let's say we have 250 adults in this room, okay? So here's what this would look like. If we had 250 adults in the service and and we were to grow to over 3,000 people, we'd have 13 services on a Sunday or sometime during the week. Our staff would die, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. We'd all die. If we put 12 people in a group, in a, in a circle, that means that we would have, right now we have 32 circles, 32 groups here at The Journey. We would need 260 groups for people to meet in, which would mean we need 260, at least 260 leaders to lead those groups. In Journey Kids downstairs, during a service, we have about 25 volunteers who volunteer to oversee uh, from nursery up to sixth grade. We would need 325 volunteers to be a part of our children's ministry. Parking. <laughs> Thankfully, they had camels and donkeys, right? So you can kind of put those in there pretty tight. We'd be okay. Here's the coolest thing. If that were to happen here, maybe the county would actually give us a light right here at Thomas Road, right? (laughs) Terrible design. Anyway, hey, be praying about that. We're always hoping some miracle is going to happen there. You never know what what God can do. But um, I'm going to be blunt for a moment. And um, if you've got kids in here, probably close your ears because I'm going to say a word that maybe you don't talk about in your house. But here's, here's the deal. All of a sudden, you've got 120 people, and it grows over 3,000. I think this is probably one of those, oh, crap moments. You ever had those? You're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? What's our next step here? I mean, you had this little gathering of about 120 people. Now you have over 3,000 people who who you've got to care for, that you've got to work with, you've got to deal with. You're like, oh, crap. And I'm sure they're like, this is amazing. But they're probably like, well, Holy Spirit... (laughs) Maybe you could have held back just a little bit. I mean, this is a little too much for us. But God knew them, and God had set them up through Jesus. And so crazy things began to happen. And and they started just doing the things that they knew. Look at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. In the church world, we call this church utopia, okay? Because I don't know how many times I've heard people read those words or had those words read, and everybody's like, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? What if the church functioned like that? What if it looked like that? What if it acted like that? Why can't we, we go back to that? And, and there's some amazing things that, that happened here, but, but it wasn't perfect, okay? This isn't some utopia. What are they doing? They're just doing what they know. Let me kind of walk through that. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, real briefly, let me look at these four elements. First, we've got teaching. Um, my mom was a school teacher for 26 years, elementary school teacher, uh, mostly or all of, or most of it in first grade. 
And, uh, and I know we, we've got a ton of teachers here at The Journey. We appreciate what you do, whether you teach at home or you're in the public schools or the private schools. I mean, thank you. You've got a hard job. Unless you're a PE teacher. PE teachers, it's not, that's not a joke. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. Because I know all of our PE teachers worked really hard. My brother-in-law is a PE teacher in Loudoun County. He doesn't work very hard at all, and I remind him of that all the time. But all the other PE teachers work really hard. But, um, but man, it's hard, right? Because when you first start, you got all this information you've been given in school and maybe these internships. And then you go to the classroom, and it's a totally different thing. You think you've learned it all, but you go in the classroom, and you're like, oh, I've got to put these lessons plans together. Oh, I've got all these different dynamics within the class. And, and today, it's like, oh, by the way, I've got all these different dynamics with the parents themselves. And, and so you're trying to put all this together. I can only imagine, based on what I know and family members that have been teaching, that first year is just hard. It's rough. Because you're just trying to figure things out. That's what we find here. They're just trying to figure things out. I mean, all of a sudden, they've got all of these people. It's like, what do we do? We need to teach them something. Jesus said, go teach them. And so they start to teach. And here's what they taught them. They said, what do we know? I'm like, well, we know the Jewish prophecies. And we know Jesus came to be that Messiah. And so that's what they started to talk about. They were like, hey, you remember that prophecy that we learned as from the time we were kids? Well, here's how Jesus fulfilled that. Remember, they didn't have some Christian publishing company that came out with the life of Jesus and 12 easy lessons. You know, they didn't have that. Jesus was like three days ago. They didn't have anything on, hey, you can study the book of Ephesians because the book of Ephesians hadn't even been written yet. I mean, that letter hadn't been, Paul wasn't even at that place in his life. And so they had nothing to go on. They were just like, we got prophecies. Here's the Messiah. Let's talk about that. But then they had something else too. They had their experiences. It's not like us today where we say, hey, here's the experience I've had with Jesus. And, and we talk about something God's done in our life. I mean, they had Jesus in front of them, right? They had been around Jesus. They had learned at the feet of Jesus. And so they're sharing all these experiences like, hey, Jesus taught me this this one day. We're skipping rocks on the Sea of Galilee. Here's what he said. And somebody else is like, yeah, I was there too and I heard that. Or, or yeah, I was there when that miracle took place. And, and so they're teaching these prophecies that have come true through, through the Messiah, through Jesus. But they're also talking about their experiences that they've had with Jesus. And so it's a very powerful teaching that is happening in this early church because of the timing and the context of what's going on. The second thing that we see here, it talks about fellowship. When I think about fellowship, I think about a place. The fellowship hall. You guys, if you grew up in the church, maybe in your church, like the church I grew up in, there was a fellowship hall, right? Uh, it was always the ugliest room in the whole church. Um, always the most uncomfortable. And the acoustics were horrible in, in that room. And so you get people together and it's like, whoa, need some earplugs. Except it was the most amazing place, too. And here's why. Sunday after church potlucks. Remember those days? Man, those grandmothers, they could cook some food. And when I was a kid, I was like, I got to be in the first 15 because I had to get Miss Kiger's deviled eggs. And they were the best things, right? So I had to be up in the front so I could get up there and get a couple of those deviled eggs. I think one time I got three and I got smacked, but uh, that's okay. I tried. But I'd get a couple of those and then you'd go through the line and you'd grab all your food. And then you'd go over because you had to put your food down so you go get the desserts, right? Because the chocolate stuff, whatever. So you'd run over and get a big plate of that. Man, you were, you were ready to go. Now, some of you are like, why don't we do potlucks today? Here, here's the reason why. Nobody can cook anymore. Right? Here's what happens when we do potlucks today. Wegmans, Giant, Kentucky Fried Chicken. There's the weird person that brings Taco Bell. 
right? There's like one person that's made something, but it's about this big and it's not going to feed anybody. We don't do potlucks anymore because of that reason. But here's, here's what I'm getting at. When we think about fellowship, it's all about socializing. Like it's just building friendships. They're actually not talking about that right here. This word fellowship that we find here in Acts 2 means partnership. It means to contribute. Remember I told you that there in Jerusalem, you had, it got swole, right? Because all these people are there for this, this moment for Pentecost, for the Passover, so they're all there. They had just experienced something they had never experienced before. Here's what they decided to do. Why don't we stay here? Now, part of it is they actually believe Jesus is coming back imminently, like not in a few days or years or months or decades or, or, or centuries, like in the next few hours. And so they stayed there thinking, Jesus is getting ready to come back. We've got to be here. This is going to be something amazing that takes place. We want to make sure we're here. And so they stayed in Jerusalem. Here was the issue. Their jobs were back where they came from. So they didn't have any income coming in. And so all of a sudden, you've got all these pilgrims that are there in Jerusalem. Everybody's kind of like, we've got to do something. What are we going to do? And so they did something called the community of goods. They would take the resources that they had, and, and they would give to those that were there. Um, some of them, uh, Acts kind of paints the picture like everybody sold everything. And so, you know, this is, not everybody sold everything. Those that were generous in spirit did. They would sell their possessions. They would, as we find here, some of them sold their land. And, and they would give it to the, this, this new thing called this church. And, and with that, they would, they would provide provide for the needs of these people who had come into these pilgrims who had come into this city and so this is really what we see taking place when it says this word fellowship here uh, when it talks about in acts 242 they devoted themselves really means they had nothing better to do right because they're kind of there in jerusalem for the the long haul they've watched the spirit of god at work they watched the spirit move they've seen all these people become baptized and so they stayed in town this is not a practice that lasted long term, okay? Again, because sometimes we read this like, oh, if the church could just do this. Here is the struggles that they have. It was a logistical nightmare. You've got all of these people there, and now all these people don't have jobs and an income, and so you're trying to help as many people as you can. And this, this new group of people, these followers of Jesus, they were doing just that. They were trying to do that, but it was really hard because you had so many new people that were there in Jerusalem. There's the growth factor. Again, this thing had gone from little church to mega church in no time whatsoever. And so you have this growth factor that's there. And, and 120 people trying to work with over 3,000 people, that was tough for them to do. But then, of course, people abused the system. Imagine that. People were abusing the system that was in place. But what I love is that you have this group of people who are trying to do anything they could to support and help those pilgrims that were there. But this was part of it. Not only were they teaching them, but they were, they were contributing in partnership together. Then we got breaking bread. Breaking bread, they were eating meals together. Uh, nothing crazy out of that. They were eating meals together. They were doing communion together. Uh, they weren't doing a, a little thing of juice and some chiclets. That's not what they were doing. Uh, I mean, they were actually, communion was a big part of their meals that they were having. Uh, basically, every single time they were getting together, this was just coming a part of it. It became a, a regular weekly thing for them a little bit later on. So... This was, the, this was our fellowship. This was the socializing that was happening. And then prayer. Prayer was very important to the Jewish people. In fact, if you were Jewish, what you would do is every morning, every evening, there were prayers. And you would go to the temple to pray. And so this was just a part of, of who they were. Now, when they would go to pray, they weren't saying, they, in the beginning, they weren't saying prayers that they were making up. Kind of like we do. Uh, they were praying the Jewish prayers. 
And so they would go to the temple and they would pray these Jewish prayers. But think about it. For them, things were different now, right? Because when they would pray these prayers before, it was about the future, like this Messiah is coming. Now they're praying these prayers and they actually, they mean something to them because it's the present and Jesus, this Messiah has come. And so when they're praying these prayers, it's actually about now. And, and so I'm guessing these prayers aren't rote anymore. I mean, these prayers are powerful to them because they're like, we've seen this happen. We've seen this lived out. When it talks to them about them praising God in the temple and, and singing, they're singing Jewish hymns. I mean, they didn't have like Chris Tomlin coming in like, I'm going to take that Jewish hymn and I'm going to change it. And it's gonna, this is what it's going to look. That wasn't happening. They were singing those Jewish hymns, but they meant something. They were different now because Jesus had come. The Messiah had come. And so they're doing all these different things together. They're, they're teaching, they're breaking bread, and, and they're contributing to their, their community that's there. They're praying together. All of these things. This is just the elements of, of what we find within this early church. And again, we look at that like, oh, if we could do those four things, that would be incredible. And for the most part in the church, and I mean church as a whole, we do that. But we also have to understand there's something else going on here. And, and this is why this was powerful. I think there's three things that we find here that are important. Here's the first one. They were unified. They were unified. This past week uh, was 9-11, and we remember back you know, 18 years ago. And if you were old enough, if you're like me, you remember everything about that day. I mean, it's amazing. I, I can remember conversations and words that were said that day. I mean, that's the impact that, that it had on, on so many of us. And we remember where we were and what we were doing. And um, what a painful day. But, but if you think about that, that Monday before, life was kind of normal. And uh, people were backstabbing each other. And people talked about how they hated each other. And, you know, you got all this kind of stuff. Tuesday happened and things changed. Because people that hated each other, people that were backstabbing, whatever it was, in whatever arena, business world, political world, families, next thing you know, we're hand in hand. We're working together. We're loving on our neighbors. It's one of those moments where we saw the United States so uni unified. And we were unified because there was a cause there, right? We wanted to care for our brothers and the sisters. We wanted to care for each other. And again, such a powerful moment for us that, that lasted, I think, I think weeks and probably months. But that's what's so powerful about this early church. They were unified. They were underneath one thing. They were like, hey, our mission is Jesus' mission. Jesus said, this is what you do. This is what this looks like for you. I want you to go into the world and tell my story. You're eyewitnesses to this. You're talking to these Jewish people. Tell them about the prophecies and how I've come in as a Messiah and I've answered those prophecies. I've brought them to fruition. Live this out. Help people to obey me. Get them baptized. Continue to do this over and over again. So they knew their mission here on earth. And because of that mission... They were unified. Now they're trying to figure it all out. And here's kind of these four elements that they've put into it. But, but they're unified together because of that one thing. Because they're on this mission that Jesus had put them on. And so when we think about this, this church and what's happening here and how God is using it to spread the word of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, it's all because of the unity that's there that we find. But then now there's something else here. There's awe. We see awe here. Look at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Uh, do you remember when Sports Center actually used to show sports highlights? 
If you like sports stuff, it used to be you could watch it's like this is highlights of all the sports that are happening. Now it's like here's two minutes of sports highlights, and then it's just a big talk show. But uh, but thankfully at the end they actually show some sports highlights. It's called the the Sports Center Top Ten for the that day, and uh, so you watch that and you see these incredible highlights of of just feats that athletes have done, and it's just like oh man, it's incredible shot, incredible hit, incredible throw, all that kind of stuff. And it's just incredible, great job spelling that word that nobody else can spell. I mean that's part of it too, right? The spelling bee, which I don't understand why it's on ESPN. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, it's just incredible to watch, but we're amazed by what we see. So when we think of that word awe, that's kind of what we conjecture here. Like, oh man, they're like, this is amazing. That word awe there is actually the word phobia. And so probably a better way to define what we read here is holy terror. Okay? Because they see something amazing that's going on. They're like, this is incredible. And at the same time, they're like, this is really scary. Like, we've never seen this before. And so you've got this movement of God, and again, these amazing things are happening, but you also got this movement of God that, that there's fear involved with it too. And so when it talks about them being in awe, it really is this holy terror. Like, God is up to something incredible here. God is doing something amazing, and it really scares us because we've never seen anything like this before. Why do you think people didn't leave Jerusalem? It wasn't because all these people were like, hey, we're going to take care of you. We're going to give you everything you need. No, it's like, we want to see this holy terror. We want to see what God is up to because God is doing something incredible and amazing. And so not only do we see that this group of people, they're unified in this Jesus mission, but we also find that there's sort of this, this holy terror there. They're amazed and afraid at the same time. You know, what is God up to? Which leads us to this last thing, Transformation. Truth comes in rows, but change happens in circles. There in Acts 2.42, and what we just read, we, we find that, the, um, that they were meeting in the temple courts. And again, they were going there because of prayer time, so in the morning the evenings. And, and, and so we, we kind of have this picture of uh, that's the way things work. That's how this, this deal was, that they had this big old church setting there. But the reality is that wasn't what grew the church uh, it was house churches. And so they would meet at the temple, but then they would meet in people's homes. And that really was where change and transformation took place. And, and if you look at the story of the expansion of Christianity, it wasn't because they were going and building these big buildings all over the place so they could put more people in it. What happened was they would go into these towns like Paul. They'd meet a few people. They'd find a home. They'd meet in this home, and it continued to grow and grow and grow. And then they started another house church. Now, over time, it got to this place like, hey, we've got to kind of make this bigger. And so they began to meet in bigger areas so they could get more people together. But they were still doing these house churches. They were still meeting in smaller groups. And, and I think the reason is it was easier to kind of do what they had been doing. It was easier to teach in that setting to, and to help each other in that setting and to break bread together in that setting, to pray for each other in that setting. And God used that, and that's the, how the church continued to expand and grow. It wasn't because they were building big, big buildings all over the place. It was because they were meeting in homes and smaller groups, and everyone was taking care of each other in that setting. And because of that, change was happening in people's hearts and souls. Look at verse 47. It says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Other people saw something going on they couldn't quite quite comprehend and again maybe it was part of the unity piece and i think it was because of this holy terror that was there but but they looked and they see people's lives being changed and like i want to be a part of this 
I want what you've got. Where did this come from? How did this happen? Let me know. And so they started jumping into these, these smaller settings, and God used that to transform the lives of so many people. And through this group of people, which began with 120, really began with less than that, it began with 12, it began with Jesus, but, but this 120 is really how we see this church expand and grow. And I truly believe it's because they met together in these smaller groups. And they lived out these elements that we find here in Acts chapter 2. They were unified, they were in awe, and they were changed because God was at work. What does this mean for us today? Well, let me give you a little few things about groups here at The Journey. Because this series, I'm not ashamed to say, this is about moving us from rows to circles. We want to see more and more people become a part of these circles because here's the deal, and I said this the first week, I've said it both weeks and today. Um, change may begin here, but transformation is going to happen when you're in a smaller setting with people. That's the only place it's really going to happen. And look, you can think you can rely on our staff to be that for you. <laughs> our staff is working way more than it should because God's doing crazy stuff here. That's why we have groups, so you can go and be in a place where somebody can love you and care for you, and sometimes you think that should come from me. I'm not very good at that, okay? I probably need to work on my empathy a little bit, but <laughs> I'm just being honest. Um, I love my group, and I love my family, and my, yep, that's about it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I love you guys too. But, but look, to, to really find that connection, you've got to be in relationship with others. You've got to be in, in circles. And so let me share a little bit about our groups uh, real quick. Here, here's the first one. The leaders we have in our group, you ready for this? They're not perfect, okay? The leaders in our groups, they are not perfect. <laughs> this is what you're going to love. Um, we're not there yet. Uh, thank you. Uh, they're normal, which means they're thinking about the commute tomorrow and how horrible it's going to be. And they're thinking about how they're going to pay for health care. And they're probably thinking about, hey, how are we going to live here on this income that we have? They're thinking about if they've got kids, they're thinking about how do we raise our kids here? They're, they're thinking about, hey, um, are we going to be able to meet in our house because it's not kid-proof? Or they're, they're thinking about these kind of things. They're thinking about, hey, am I going to be able to drive my car tomorrow because it's not running quite right? They're thinking about their marriage. They're thinking about their relationships. They're normal, okay? They're not perfect. But they're leading these groups because they feel and they've known and they experience what these groups can do and what circles can do. So here's the deal. I'm going to show you how normal they are, okay? If you're a group leader here at The Journey, would you stand up for us right now? Because we're going to show you how normal these people are. Stand up. You're seeing those people right now. If you see them, go ask them questions about the group. A lot of them have their journey shirts. I was like, hey, ask me about my group. That means ask them about their group. You guys can sit. Thank you. They're normal. Did you see that? They're normal. They're just like us. And so just so you know, our group leaders are not perfect. Uh, here's something else you should know about groups. They're going to be weird people in your group, okay? <laughs> it's always the case. There's always one person or two people. Now, if you're like... I'm in a group, but there's no weird people. Then that means you're the weird person. <laughs> there's going to be weird people. I mean, they're going to tell you weird stories, and you're going to be like, where, where did that come from? They're a child of God. Keep telling yourself that over and over and over and over again. Um, but that's okay. We, we embrace weird here at The Journey. 
Uh, so know that there are going to be weird people in your group. Here's the other thing. I want to talk to dudes for a second. Dudes, you don't like going to group, right? Let's, let's be honest. Guys don't like groups, and here's why. You think it's a big cry fest. You think every time you go, there's going to be all these people, they're going to be sharing all this stuff, and there's going to be uh, vomiting all this stuff out, and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, if this person tells the same story over and over again. And people are crying, and you're like, oh, why do I have to come to this? That's not the way this is set up, okay? Uh, that's not what groups are about. Very rarely do I have somebody come to me like, hey man, they cry every week, and I can't handle this anymore. <laughs> It'll happen, and guess what? You might be the dude that cries during the group, and that's great. They're not counseling sessions. You know, they're, they're, they're not support groups. Uh, for the most part, we do have some support groups, though. But, but guys, please understand, it is a place for you to connect and grow spiritually. And I'm going to tell you this, guys. You want to lead your family. You want to make a difference in your family. You want to see lives changed in your family. You go to a group. You say, I'm going to go to the group. And your wife might be like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm going to go to a group. And I, but you think they're going to be crying. And people are, I don't care. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to listen. I'm going to bring tissues because I'm going to help them out. <laughs> Guys, go to groups. Be a leader. Show that this is important. And so, guys, just so you know, it's not some cry fest that happens there. But here's the other thing. If our groups are united, if we hope for some holy terror to happen, and transformation is going to take place. Before, well, a few ministries ago, um, well, let me start back here. Uh, There's a church up in Chantilly called New Life Christian Church. And it's actually the daughter church of the Journey Church. Uh, back in the early 90s, the Journey, which was Central Christian at the time, sent a, a staff member, I think eight families, and money to go plant this church in Chantilly to reach a brand new group of people. And, uh, and that church did very well, and it's still doing very well, but uh, they were planning a third campus. And so in 2005, I took on the role to be their, their campus pastor and to plant that third campus for them out in Haymarket, not too far from here. And um, so I was excited about that. It was an amazing experience for me and for our family. Uh, but it was a time in our life where we had, my wife Kara and I, we have three little kids then. Like our son Jake, who's uh, just turned 12, he was born here at Fair Oaks. And so, I mean, he was a brand new kid. And, and so we had these groups going on, right? And so we started this group. Here's the crazy part. For some reason, we got all these young professionals, right? Young professionals, singles in our, in our group. And, and we loved it. But it was hard on us. And it was hard because... We were tired, and we were worn out, and it was happening at the time we were putting our kids to bed, and there were times where I was praying and hoping, like, God, please don't let anybody show up tonight. <laughs> please. And I don't, I don't apologize for that, because that's how I felt. And then they'd show up, and like, okay, this is why we do groups, and it, my, my attitude would change. Um, but we had 22 people that were in that group. And we didn't have a whole lot of space in our house that we rented. And, and so they were sitting all over the place. They were young professionals, so they didn't care. They were young people. They would sit anywhere. Over the course of two years, uh, we invested in them. And on one Sunday, 14 of them were baptized. And uh, it was God at work. It wasn't us. It was just God working through us. And here's why I say that. That's what groups are about. It's not about me as a leader here at the church. It's not about our church. It's about us living these things out and seeing God work in incredible and amazing ways. And I don't want you to miss out on that. Do you want to change? Do you want to be different? Jump into one of our groups. Look, if you go to a group and you don't like the group, you don't have to go back. If that leader gives you the stink eye the next Sunday because you don't show up, Stink Eye is one of those, they're not a value to us here, okay? 
We don't like stink eye. And so you can come talk to me. Like, I'm getting the stink eye. I'll go talk to that person. Because we want you to be in a place where you can experience what God is doing and what God is up to. It's only going to take place in these circles. I want to see our lives different. I want to see them change. What do we have? Here's our next steps. I'm going to show you. You can go to thejourneynova.org, look at connect groups. Uh, You can go to our uh, app. You can see the groups there. Um, Outside, there's this booklet that you can go to or you can find us out on one of the counters. Most of the groups are in here. Contact those leaders. Contact us, groups at thejourneynova.org. Let us know what you're interested in. We want to get you connected in groups. Here's the kind of groups we have. Uh, show that list we have. We have 13 life groups that are meeting. They're study, sermon-based. Uh, all, 12 of those are open. One of those we had to close because there's too many people in it. We've got five ladies groups, four fun groups, three men's groups, three support groups, two family moms groups, a financial peace group, and our teen group, which actually is their refuel that starts tonight. And it's actually four groups that, that meet based on gender and ages. Um, and then our club four, five, six actually meets tonight too here. Um, there's space for you. And we invite you to take that next step to move from rows to circles because we want to change. And we only do that through Christ and we only do that together. I hope you will take this opportunity to do this. This is why we have set this up this fall. Be a part of our group and let's see what God is up to in your life and the life of this church. We're going to go to our communion time. And as we do that this morning, um, <laughs> we do this because of what we just read here in Acts 2. We do this because Jesus implemented this. And then this early church, these early followers, they lived it out. And so we're going to do this this morning. We're going to take this, this bread and we're going to take this juice together as a church community to remind us that we are changed, that we are transformed, that we can be changed because of the love God had for us through his son Jesus.